Welcome back to our scheduled glance that whistles under the intact subsidiary. In the recent weeks, I have made the offers to the Bay Conductor, and this institute is surprising to our halting gulf. The Earth Hotel farms below myself, Jackie Cotillard. I am your host. Our humble podcast folds the context. The suitable starter spits me out, myself, the unwilling spokesman moving an intense reflex. I read as my handbook ribbons out the set pun before the leader. We watch our modest wife indent our appalling constitutional household, tripping across another ash can. Why won't the sweet absolute fast above the flesh? Into any tale beams the chunk of that ridden disgust, and our cautions act opposite to another marginal autobiography. Behind the particle experiments, each parrot asks, how does the potential zoom inside the giving shot? This week's show is part two of my discussion with one of the musical minds behind Them Natives, my friend Milton. You'll hear a reading of Robert Anton Wilson's essay, The Snafu Principle, from his book Prometheus Rising, which was a recommendation from Milton following our first conversation in episode 34. Music from his multiple works is found throughout the episode. First, after the reading portion, is Pay Dirt by Burning Moon. Then throughout the interview, Gilded Wilderness from the album Alabama Bound, Holy Ghost Fire, Live at Mono by Them Natives, and lastly, Goodbye Blue Monday, live in Brooklyn in 2007. Many thanks to Milton for his thoughts and sounds. Before we get to that, I'm going to throw some dates through your head face space. Tuesday, January 16th is Daniel Reagan's birthday, and we'll be busy wishing him well on that day. Daniel is one of the housemates within the Soft Rock Bungalow, and he has brought many shows to pass in Birmingham, and we warmly thank him for his friendship to myself and the podcast and the musicians to whom he plays a marvelous host. A votre santé. Cheers. You can hear him and the other Soft Rock denizens on episode 30. On February 2nd, the Top Shelf Burlesque will be showcasing our skills in strip tees and skirt wavings in general for our second outing, this time at the Syndicate Lounge. The night opens at 8, with a schmancy reception with some choice comedic talents and dancing tunes to be announced. Then our friends in Machi will take the floor at 9 o'clock to help us celebrate the rapidly approaching Blackheart Valentine's Day, which we will all thoroughly enjoy, as we are ought to do. Top Shelf will start our performance at 10 o'clock sharp, which in this case means the doors will be shut, and entry will not be allowed until the scantily clad are robed once again at 11 o'clock. Following this, the Dizzy, the dark disco detritus on the floor of our favorite bar, will send us all into a frisky frenzy following the Philly fun. They are decidedly the band in Birmingham that is most excited to bring you down. Cover is $5, which is the cheapest rate for an easy peep the side of Red Mountain, for all you local folk out there. Tasteful peeps, to be sure, but that's what we're here for. Top Shelf Burlesque is welcoming new faces in other areas to our trepidated audience, who enjoyed us at the Soft Rock so much, or just heard the wild rumors circling the aftermath of our underground, easy-speak-in, experimental dance troupe in that wonderful basement of theirs. On a personal note, I am intensely excited for the new album from They Might Be Giants, which is coming out on January 19th. They're not local, they're from Brooklyn, if you haven't heard of them. And it's called I Like Fun. And I will certainly be yucking it up and merrily bouncing along to the various fun dirges that they play when they come to Saturn on January 30th. Unfortunately, the Birmingham and Atlanta shows that they're playing on this tour are sold out. They're doing a 50-date tour all across the world following this album. It's called I Like Fun, and it's so far it's full of songs about death and dismemberment and relationship breakups and failing 
ideas and suicide and etc. All the all the jaunty fun tune kind of head bop and stuff that you expect from They Might Be Giants if you've heard from them before. Uh, the Birmingham and Atlanta shows are sold out, but there are still tickets. As far as I checked two days ago, there are tickets for the Nashville spot still happening. I think you can go to tmbg.com and buy those or find all that stuff there. They're my favorite band in the whole world. They're one of the first bands that I ever heard that blew my mind musically. I had Flood, their their most popular album. The, mo- the Most people know them for either Particle Man, Birdhouse in Your Soul, or Istanbul, which are all on that album. But that's the first one I heard. My parents had that in the car with them when I was like four or five years old. I think my dad bought it in the 90s when it came out. So they've always been around for me, and they've taught me a ton about music. So if you haven't seen them before, you don't know about them, go find them. And if you get the chance in the future, try to see them live because it's an amazingly fun show. And everybody knows all of the words to the hundreds and hundreds of songs that they've written across their career. And I'm just, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm very, I'm very pleased. In the interim, since you heard from me uh, in early December before the the first top shelf performance that we did at the Soft Rock took up way much more of my time than I thought it would. And then Christmas happened, which I didn't really plan on being a big deal, but it is always a big deal. So I, I got my time a little uh, a little wound up in December. But last time you heard from me, I was uh, I was promising some local music submissions and uh, and other programming coming up. I was going to do a year in review and a Christmas party episode, but I couldn't get the Christmas party together because Christmas and uh, and the year in review thing just never never happened, and it's not not quite right to put it half put it out halfway through uh, January. So one of the things that I wanted to touch on in that is uh, is the overhaul that I'm about to put the the whole thing through. We had a couple of false starts trying to get shows on. Beers and Broads is back. You can hear their seventh episode that just went out Wednesday or yesterday, Thursday. So there's a lot of there are a lot of changes happening. I'm going to overhaul the website and make it generally easier to deal with. We racked up a couple of live podcasts and a healthy stock of music submissions from listeners all over the world. So those are going to be rolling out as we return to weekly programming once and for all, for good or ill. But uh, that's still a couple of weeks away. The the music submission episode. I got I got tons of of stuff from all over the country, and uh, and I'm very excited to put that out and share it with you. People from Birmingham, people that left Birmingham and are elsewhere, people that I've never met from elsewhere that know the show, friends that are passing through. There's a lot of of cool stuff, and I'm just gonna uh, pack you know two hours of uh, of local music and just throw it at you in a couple of weeks. So if you'd like to submit the sounds of you or your favorite local friends. Uh, send a request or mp3s or streamable links to the earth hotel at gmail.com and uh, and we'll throw that into the pot with this delightful stew that currently is uh, is thickening i love all the local people in birmingham uh, that are that are making music and that i get to go see but i'm especially talking now to the folks listening from outside the country who have been joining us hello from the earth hotel to you sweeties in south korea indonesia and denmark and south africa and mongolia mexico our friends at the Dow Music Academy in Zanzibar featured on uh, on the Jimmy Griffin episode, which has been wildly successful uh, all over all over the place, all over Alabama and uh, in the United States, and a lot of people from outside the country have heard that one as well. So I'm glad to share Jimmy with all those people. Yeah, people people are hearing hearing us from from Tanzania and Quebec and uh, and France, and I'm, I'm very I'm very pleased and touched and excited. I thought when I got a couple of uh, 
out of country, you know, I think a, a South Africa listener happened and then a listener from Mongolia happened and then India. And I'm like, okay, these, these are probably bots or, you know, just internet mistakes or whatever. But then the international stuff kept coming in and I'm, I'm shocked and I'm extremely touched. So if you're listening to me from the United States, hi, hey, love you. And from outside the United States, uh, thanks for joining us here. Not everyone in Alabama is completely backwards and uh, and disillusioned. Most people are are just people anyway. I know the the worst examples of the human spirit perhaps are setting a, an awfully bad example for our country and our uh, and our society right now, and especially the state of Alabama. So we're gonna send loving shockwaves out in the opposite direction and keep a fine attitude about the whole thing. So thank you for joining us. If there is music pouring out of your heads somewhere around the world, we'd love to hear it. We'd love to put it on the show and share it and make this a whole big communal when coalesce into one happy laugh-in situation. Well, the website's about to go a major, uh, a major overhaul kind of way. I'm going to resolve some navigation issues and generally pretty up the joint a little bit. There's more details to come on that, but I got some great advice from Shannon Ellis from Machi and, uh, and everything's going to look better coming out of this last year and moving into this startling year of our word. So many thanks to everyone that has made the last year possible for this establishment. And I am firmly committed to raising the bar, uh, as we go forward. I've talked for 10 minutes. This is it. Thanks for being here. We're going to take you into the music. Uh, you're going to hear the Robert Anton Wilson reading next, followed by Pay Dirt and all the stuff after that. Take it away. <clears throat> Please? Yes. is only possible between equals. Thy shall come to no good. James Joyce, Finnegan's Wake. Mammalian sociobiology, rooted in the antique neural circuits of the old brain, contains many factors opposing the evolution of domesticated primates into true freedom and objective intelligence. The chief of these reactionary factors was described in my novel Illuminatus as the Snafu Principle or Selene's Law. It holds that communication is only possible between equals. This was an oversimplification for fictional, satirical purposes. More precisely, this proposed law would read, Adequate communication flows freely between equals. Communication between non-equals is warped and distorted by second-circuit domination and submission rituals, perpetuating communication jam and a game without end. Political power, as a typical alpha male once said, grows out of the barrel of a gun. This is metaphorically as well as literally true. The gun may be symbolic and fairly abstract, consisting of ritualized social expectations, don't talk back to your father, or concrete in a non-violent but deadly way, the capacity to remove bio-survival necessities by cutting off the ticket supply in a capitalist society. One more word and I'll fire you, bumstead. Under the primate second circuit sociobiological rules, everybody tends to lie a little, to flatter or to evade displeasure, when exchanging signals with those above them in the pack hierarchy. 
Every authoritarian structure can be visualized as a pyramid with an eye on top. This is the typical flowchart of any government, any corporation, any army, any bureaucracy, any mammalian pack. On each rung, participants bear a burden of nescience in relation to those above them. That is, they must be very, very careful that the natural sensory activities of being conscious organisms, the acts of seeing, hearing, smelling, drawing inferences from perception, etc., are in accord with the reality tunnel of those above them. This is absolutely vital. Pack status and job security depends on it. It is much less important, a luxury that can be discarded, that these perceptions must be in accord with objective fact. For instance, in the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover, the agent had to develop a capacity to see godless communists everywhere. Any agent whose perceptions indicated that there were actually very few godless communists in this country at that time would experience cognitive dissonance. His or her reality tunnel was at variance with the official reality tunnel of the pyramid. To talk about such perceptions at all would be to invite suspicions of eccentricity, intellectual wiseacring, or of being oneself a godless communist. The same would apply to a Dominican inquisitor in the Middle Ages who lacked the capacity to see witches everywhere. In such authoritarian situations, it is important to see what the top dogs, alpha males, see. It is inconvenient and possibly dangerous to see what is objectively happening. But this leads to an equal and opposite burden of omniscience upon those at the top in the eye of the pyramid. All that is forbidden to those at the bottom, the conscious activities of perception and evaluation, is demanded of the power elite, the master class. They must attempt to do the seeing, hearing, smelling, etc., and all the thinking and evaluating for the whole pyramid. But a man with a gun, the power to punish, is told only what the target thinks will not cause him to pull the trigger, write the pink slip, order the court-martial. The elite, with their burden of omniscience, face the underlings with their burden of nescience, and receive only the feedback consistent with their own preconceived notions and reality tunnels. The burden of omniscience becomes, over time, another and more complex burden of nescience. Nobody really knows anything anymore, or if they do, they are careful to hide the fact. The burden of nescience becomes omnipresent. More and more of sensory experience becomes unspeakable. As Paul Watsalowick notes, that which is objectively repressed, unspeakable, soon becomes subjectively repressed, unthinkable. Nobody likes to feel like a coward and a liar constantly. It is easier to cease to notice where the official tunnel reality differs from existential fact. Thus snafu accelerates and rigiditus bureaucraticus sets in, the last stage before all brain activity ceases and the pyramid is clinically dead as an intellectual entity. We also propose that national security is another semantic spook, an imbeclidian knot, that in the search for natural security is the chief cause of natural insecurity and a potent anti-intelligence mechanism. As Leary writes, Secrecy is the original sin, fig leaf in the Garden of Eden, the basic crime against love. The purpose of life is to receive, synthesize, and transmit energy. Communication fusion is the goal of life. Any star can tell you that. Communication is love. Secrecy, withholding the signal, hoarding, hiding, covering up the light, is motivated by shame and fear. As so often happens, the right wing is half right for the wrong reasons. They say primly, if you have done nothing wrong, you have no fear of being bugged. Exactly. But the logic goes both ways. Then FBI files, CIA dossiers, White House conversations should be open to all. Let everything hang open. Let government be totally visible. The very last people to hide their actions should be the police and the government. What my eminent colleague states so poetically can be stated more functionally as follows. Every secret police agency must be monitored by an elite corps or second police of the second order. This is because a. Infiltration of the secret police for purposes of subversion will always be a prime goal of both internal subversives and hostile foreign powers, 
and b secret police agencies acquire fantastic capacities to blackmail and intimidate others in and out of government stalin executed three chiefs of the secret police in a row because of this danger as nixon so wistfully said in a watergate transcript well hoover performed he would have fought that was the point he would have defied a few people he would have scared them to death he had a file on everybody Thus, those who employ secret police agencies must monitor them to be sure they are not acquiring too much power. Here, a sinister infinite regress enters the game. Any elite second-order police must be also subject to infiltration or to acquiring too much power in the opinion of its masters, and so it too must be monitored by a secret police of the third order. In brief, once a government has in orders of secret police spying on each other, all are potentially suspect, and to be safe, a secret police of order N plus 1 must be created, and so on forever. In practice, of course, this cannot regress to mathematical infinity, but only to the point where every citizen is spying on every other citizen until, or until the funding runs out. National security in practice must always fall short of the logically impoclidian infinite regress it requires for perfect security. In that gap between the ideal of one nation under surveillance with wiretaps and urine tests for all, and the strictly limited real situation of finite resources and, and finite funding, there is ample encouragement for paranoias of all sorts to flourish, both among the citizens and among the police. Thus, the USSR, after 62 years of Marxist secret police games, reached the point where the alpha males were terrified of painters and poets. In spying and hiding transactions, worry leads to more worry and suspicion leads to more suspicion. The very act of participating, however unwillingly, in the secret police game, even as victim or citizen being monitored, will eventually produce all the classic symptoms of clinical paranoia. The agent knows who he is spying on, but he never knows who is spying on him. Could it be his wife, his mistress, his secretary, the newsboy, the good humor man? If there is a secret police at all in any nation, every branch and department of government and institutions which are not even admitted to be parts of government becomes suspect in the eyes of cautious and intelligent people as a possible front for or tunnel to the secret police. That is, the more shrewd will recognize that something bearing the label of HEW or even international silicon and pencil might actually be the CIA or NSA in disguise. In such a deception network, conspiracy theories proliferate. Rumor is necessary, it has been found, when people cannot find official news sources that can be trusted to tell them what is really going on. The present author, having worked in the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, the legalized pot movement, and other dissonant causes, has repeatedly been approached by friend A with dire warnings that friend B is almost certainly a secret police agent, only to be told later and independently by friend C that friend A is a secret police agent. It requires delicate neurological know-how to keep one's sense of humor in the secret police matrix. The more omnipresent the secret police, the more likely it is that intelligent men and women will regard the government with fear and loathing. The government, on discovering that growing numbers of citizens regard it with fear and loathing, will increase the size and powers of the secret police to protect itself. The infinite regress again appears. Robert Anton Wilson, essay in Prometheus Rising, The Collection.
we're back we're back again now we're back i'm glad yeah this is part two of milton you introduced me to robert anton wilson's but it's in the book uh, prometheus rising it's really one of his funniest books i think it's got cartoons yeah it, it's it's uh clever and a little uh a little impudent yeah yeah he tries to make it really uh really uh, a like kind of a farce or you know um highlight the uh the real comical parts of these conspiracies and and mm-hmm. you know future technologies and stuff like that and talking about a lot of quantum physics is in this book he, he explains it he dumbs it way 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 down and if you can get past this kind of like snarky sense of humor about it uh it is a really good explanation of those kind of realities and how we're moving forward with that as a just proving more of what we don't know, you know, um, what we thought was an answer didn't really turn out to be an answer at all. Yeah. It just kind of opened a couple more doors and questions up. So that's, that's where we're going to keep going. So when you look at it like that, it can be fun and absurd and comical and not so serious and, reality you got to realize that you're dealing in unrealities and realities and there's lots of different there's lots of different ones yeah and most of the unrealities that we do experience are pretty universally shunned uh discredited right we we gotta like make all these weird creative ways to talk about it (laughs) because it's so unbelievable to most people or it's so untenable or whatever you want to or culturally, not not even in our um, in our cultural lexicon, you know, mm-hmm. things that, oh, that kind of thing doesn't happen. Well, it happened to them, but I'm not going to believe them because that doesn't happen. Right, right. You know, it's very easy to uh, right. to exclude information like that. And he, what I also like about what he does with a lot of his stuff is just like he really kind of exposes how, um you know, absurd our like paranoias are and fears and how we like trap ourselves in these thought prisons, you know? And he thinks like, you know, a lot of the conspiracy stuff is kind of, it goes a little too far in saying, in giving the government too much control, too much power and just philosophy. Cause he likes to think, you know, and I, I like to think about it like this too, is like, they're not as powerful as they want you to believe they are. You know? Right. So a lot of this is on you and there's a lot of things that you can overcome about it. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been there kind of lately. The, the, it, 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 it's a created, um, and inherited, not apathy, but, but lack of, lack of intended option. You know, Mm -hmm. you, if you don't believe that that thing's going to happen to you, if you, if you don't believe that if you put an effort, then you can make things happen that you didn't understand. Mm -hmm could ever happen then you you binded yourself you know right right and there's ways to like step around it and there's also ways to use it to your advantage a lot of the number one thing is just don't let it get to you right you know like be able to laugh about it see it objectively like move on don't get stuck in those thought patterns these like little prisons we create throughout the day of just like trying to form opinions on things yeah well it's a waste of energy like we don't have to do that anymore um we can accept it and move on and survive pretty easily 
<laughs> I want to dig into that idea a okay. little bit. Yeah. Um, That's just what, one of the things that I really agree. I really think he's great about is just like opening up just that. Once you get started on that thought where you're just like, okay, well, none of it matters, but it's really fucking fun. <laughs> you <laughs> right. know? Well, I, I, I kind of, I can see where I agree with that. I, I didn't get the idea firsthand, but building on these opinions and whether you like, like, and dislike things is just a disease it's it doesn't go anywhere it's not about thinking and deciding all the time like that sometimes you have to accept and just absorb Mm -hmm. and observe yeah right like really be you know and that's just number one that's step number one into all that kind of way of thinking about things and appreciating everything around you like that yeah because it does take time and you really do have to focus on the thing that you want that you're paying attention to make it one thing start from there and not have so much bouncing around like we do um but you know it's just because this technology is all new to us mm-hmm. and it really takes about 20 years to work out all the kinks of this like really mind expanding piece of equipment we've developed yeah, and so, we're still on the, the moody adolescence where right. we're like, no, man, fuck you. I don't have to listen to what exactly. you say. Exactly. We're using yeah. it as some opinion-building database, you know? And we're just like, wait a sec. We can make, like, everything free with this with this tool here, you know? Right. And we could all still be really connected and, act, and live in the country <laughs> by ourselves, and we could still be connected to the world. That's unbelievable. That's a huge future, you know? Right. I'm trying to find this quote. I'm, uh, when everyone develops their inner writer, when it is socially acceptable for everyone to let let that out. Yeah, right. Yeah. When everyone has that, then we're not going to know anything. Well, and now we're ha- we're in that. Mm-hmm. We're in like we're the first really generation of people that are that have grown up like sharing their thoughts online. You know. Yeah, and you can see it. It started. It's easier to see that in retrospect, yeah. like as it has happened over the last yeah. year or so. But it, it's very easy to see that when something impactful happens, because nobody, you know, you can have you as a collector of people in that, you know, when that that's what that program makes you is mm-hmm. a collector of people. Oh, I met you this one time. Where do I know them from? A year later, you know, I friended them mm-hmm. and they know mm-hmm. this person. What are our mutual friends like? You're collecting people mm. and then so your particular collection of people is going to be expressing generally the same ideas when something really divisive happens. You know what I mean? Like, well, and we saw that with Doug Jones recently, like any, like the entire day of the election, it was completely solid. No one else was talking about anything mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily know, like they can see it on on their version of right. Facebook, but on my version of Facebook, they don't necessarily know that everybody's saying that. Okay, you that know? part bugs me, but what really bugs me is just the way we it's teaching us how to communicate with each other now. Yes. So like our ability to socialize and actually like talk to each other and learn things about each other and like do it in a positive, like helpful kind of way instead of like this divisive way, which is just another tool for them to divide us into these categories to count us more accurately in our opinions and to see how their drugs are working on our opinions. How is their TV working on our opinions? Yeah. They have a propaganda system and now they're just, they're, they're pretty upfront about it now. They don't even hide it anymore. Like you can find out all about their propaganda system and all you have to do is look at it and see how they, yeah. they have the, 
they have they've been saying the same things and now they're just they're just more pervasive they're just they've skirted a lot of the walls so they don't have to really sell you anything they just can talk to you about it yeah and then you'll buy whatever is under that <laughs> genre of something yeah well groups are being sold right so you facebook know. is one of those and the social media just, no, I mean, it's just, fa- no i mean facebook sells groups it right, sells you a right. group exactly it's it and it sells uh, our information you know yeah i mean they gather out of it yeah they they practically do that but what i'm saying like on some other level they're selling us grouphood okay you, yeah you get yeah. to you get to yeah through your attention, purchase but, but your group point, identity from one that. kind of technical aspect of it that I like to bring up is they're monitoring a control. Sure. So it's like they've already tried. They're trying to make us have opinions. Mm-hmm. They're trying to put us into these groups. Right. That they can package and sell as batches of information or, you know, uh, just yeah. slave labor continued or whatever. And that's a that's a cultural convenience that they're offering to us. Right. Right. You know? And of and course it's free. Yeah. Of course it's free. Right. And they have it all, you know, saved for some database. And who knows what, what that is and they are that's working on it. Really, that's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter to us because we don't have to do that anymore or all the time. That is kind of – it's a pretty much I, – I, I look at it as like this is Internet's like the little awkward adolescent era – and that's one of the things that is going to be pretty useless. Yeah, but adolescents join gangs. Gangs go after adolescents exactly, for that exactly. reason. Exactly, exactly. But I mean? only for a little while. Only for a little while. If, if, but that can be all that they get. You know, I see your fear is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the, but the people who are actually doing stuff aren't, aren't on Facebook. Not Maybe not active on it, but they're still cold into it. Like, it's well, almost yeah, not an yeah, option. Yeah, we can't not have it now. Yeah. Like, they've made it a very – everybody has to have that profile or you look weird How to am I gonna potential find you? employees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And make you friends. You got friends. a Google shirt on, too, right? right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> potential employees. Wait. <laughs> um, so, I want to dig into some of the the ideas that he presents. So, we, we were feeding off of – um, yeah, what, some more some more Bob Wilson stuff. <laughs> yeah, what, what they just heard. The chapter was the snafu principle, uh-huh. and the heading okay. was communication okay. is only possible between equals. So one thing that I one thing that I thought was interesting about his approach um, is where he he views like pack mentality, at least in this in this case, as like I noticed that he used extreme examples to illustrate how people line up. Every authoritarian structure can be visualized as a pyramid with an eye on top. This is a typical flow chart of any government, corporation, army, bureaucracy, mammalian pack. Um, burden of nescience in, re- in relation to people that are above you. Mm-hmm. Keeping mm-hmm. your perception in accordance right. with the reality tunnel of the people that are above you in the in the bureaucracy. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, that is a good selection. That's good. The counter that I – like I see that, but he – in the FBI and – like the the Hoover F- FBI and the KGB, those are extreme examples of dysfunctional bureaucracy. So what I'm what I think and it's not a critical, um, you know, jab, but I think uh, I think he's I think he might be missing the the good king aspect of okay, but here's the where bureaucracy, here's but, where I yeah. think 
I think uh, it's going to make it full circle right here. That's perfect. I'm mm -hmm. glad you brought that up because the most important part of that selection, I thought, was how it is also the mammalian instinctual behavior pattern of animals to seek a hierarchy but right but the but a dominance hierarchy includes competency yeah you know um yeah but it's still the same the same flow chart right but i don't think that's a critical um like we are going to form into those into those hierarchies but that might that might just be because 10 percent of people are, are far more competent than other people you know what I mean? Right. I see his like, but ten percent of a smaller population mm -hmm. is is that the correct way of doing it? That's just a simpler pyramid. Yeah. Well, then there's going to be one out of those ten that is more competent than the rest of them, right. and then you get and a king, be, and then you get but, a head. But not, it's not as much of a king because it's a line of succession. You know. Yeah. And if the smaller the population, the more related to the king everybody is. Yeah, but perhaps less effective a, a bureaucracy if you're Yeah, but more of a good but a shared a shared existence is is easier that way. Yeah. Well there's With definitely small, we're all talking I'm just talking about like making very, very small populations and like Well that there's works. there's a cap. I don't know the name for it, but there is a, a cap that we get to um like if a population is larger than say a thousand people, it's impossible to know all of them. You know, like your yeah. brain can only and your brain can only really hold like 150 right, names right, at one right, time. Right, 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 right. And um, so really what, what you're talking about is just like like when civilization and culture become a part of that pyramid, mm -hmm. it does dysfunction it. And like you were talking about, like it's a dysfunctional bureaucracy. There it was a pure hierarchy where the top shares and everything grows together, you know? What do you mean? The animal hierarchy, the mammalian hierarchy pyramid. Well, even so, it dis what yeah. what happens is we add all this like dysfunction and chaos, and also order. You know, with our order that we've brought up over the years with philosophy and war, not only just complicated it, but that's like added chaos. Like order brings that other part. That's the realm of it. Because well, so it, order decays into chaos. Yeah, yeah. There's so much of a population, and everybody's in fervors constantly. You know, and we're talking about when we're talking about the, but what he's, that's why I think what he's talking about is the quantum physics principle of how this all ties together as like, this is part of our mammalian DNA, DNA structure to go through this process and, and go through the bureaucratic chaos of like philosophy and war, and like chess together, all that stuff. Yeah. And then technology and science and quantum physics is going to like, and Zen Buddhism and um you know shamanism yoga new emerging values sex, those kind of things are going to help us help carry us forward to the next next era of it because um, yeah we've survived this far and as long as we don't really just like try just kill each other now i think we're i think we can still survive what we've even though what we've done and everything i think it'll be a smaller population and yeah. i think and i think that's great well, once you hit once you hit about nine billion people, it's gonna decline rapidly. Yeah. Either from, you know, from one from one thing or another. Yeah. Um. I I think so. So you're a small a small group. It's it's less likely to devolve into grouphood, in, internally. Yeah. But, um, and it's easier to look at it that way. Yeah. As a sample. 
Well, it's easier to it's just easier to see. Like if you've right. got thirty people right, and right. all standing in a in a field, you know, gathering whatever. Yeah. And yeah. then four of them go off by themselves. You're gonna be like, what are they doing? Right. Oh well, they're going to pick berries. Oh, that's cool. Right. But then if they're all together all all the time, and suddenly if you talk to one of them, the other one comes up and says, hey, what's going on? Then what are you guys doing? Like, hey, uh, you know, right. very attentive and kind of suspicious. Yeah. You know, that's a group you need to worry about. But with a hundred people. Uh, it's e- with with 100 people versus 30, it's much easier to get away with that, right. you know, and it can it can evolve that way. And then those 10 people are planning to kill the the chief organizer and the person that people look to to make decisions and be the rock because he's the most competent person around, you know, right. even before they have a name for chief, they know chief. That's really deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that the competence that chief displays is going to be evident to anyone that is not critically threatened by not having that role. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. But, a, but an interesting, interesting thing that came up when you said, uh, when you're talking about technology accruing and quantum physics accruing this new understanding, mm-hmm. you know, and, and our phones wouldn't exist like our magic. Yeah. Smart, you know, the, the smartphone wouldn't exist without but like we've created portals on top of portals that like are interconnected realms of portals into like, information warehouses that we can just go play in Mm -hmm. like our generation has had a lot of uh, crazy opportunity here and uh i think i think a lot of people have really figured out what to do with it and that's what really what what i think changes is going to change the rest of it because the more we can realize how to theoretically do things the more we can actually put that stuff into practice and over time as long as we don't blow each other up, like we can make our own kind of way. Right. And we can make free energy for people and we can share it and we can just, it's, you, we don't have to profit because we have less things to pay for. Yeah. And so it's not about building industries like it used to be. It's about sharing resources and living healthily long. Like we can live probably forever if we do start doing it right now. Close. And there's a lot of engineers and scientists and computer programmers they're figuring out how to make people live for a long time. And yeah, so but it, that that gets into that gets into area that I called the the unknown unknown. Uh oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. After that, it all gets. I mean, after it really everything yeah. we're talking about is all just like a crazy hypothetical system that I I for one think is is beautifully orchestrated, and I think he Robert Anton Wilson does a great job of explaining just where that all intersects with technology and with quantum physics and with shamanism and with, um, you know, I'll give you a ancient con- mystical stuff. Yeah. I'll give you a concrete example. So there are plenty of, of especially central and South American cultures that will plan their operation of their tribe based on the cumulative dreams of their tribe. Okay. Yeah. So there are apps now. Um, and I, it, the name escapes me, but I'll put it in the, in the description. Um, it, it's a it's a massive big data approach to dream journaling. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I think it started. It was it was it started up about eight years ago, I think, and then I've heard check ins with it since then. Me too. Um, do you know that? Do you remember the name of it? Of a of the dream of that specific dream journal. No, there's an app that. That oh is no com- no I don't know about the app. Oh, okay. But well, there's there are people. I am aware of the of just the practice. Oh yeah, of journaling dreams and sharing it with everybody. 
Well, if we can get that from, you know, three million people across multiple cultures, uh-huh. you know, and if it can, and and that's about enough to, to make it a a cultural practice, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that fringe interest grows into this thing, and then, you know, people start remembering their dreams and writing them down, and then you have a database of dream symbols, and it turns out that in the preliminary you know, runs of this, of this app in the last four or five years. And it's going to be, you know, 10 or 20 years before they have enough information to really make huge, you know, overarching, they're going to have to get it on multiple continents on, you know, in many, many languages, the thing's going to have to get much mm-hmm. broader, but they've already discovered multiple people having the same dream on the same night. Right. You know, that's not something that we would ever know outside of a group of maybe 10 people that were really committed but to it. if you could really collect it, then you could see how much, how often that kind of stuff actually happens, which that's is enough, really amazing. That's yeah. enough for people to not say, oh, I just had a dream. It was crazy. That's now what I, you know, nobody wants to hear about my dream. Well, it is amazing. And I always thought it was just amazing how nobody talks about dreams. Like, it's yeah, not but a, have you ever had someone, like, describe a dream to you and it's just dog shit in the way that they do it? But we don't need it described, like, just thought about, you know what I mean? Yeah, and well, that's what I mean. It needs to be a part of our cultural dialogue thinking habit yeah because you think about it like you say like okay so i'm not going to describe the whole dream i had to you but look i saw my like dad he was dying and like so that means like dude me and my dad have been like you know and like you have to give the context of who you are yeah what this figure represents what it symbolizes because it is a cultural database of symbols Mm -hmm. that we could collect here and really use a use to um not only predict a lot but guide us in in uh, public opinion and stuff. I yeah. mean, what, we could vote in our dreams. Well, we're already, so, <laughs> so on, I, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta be in No, that's fine. Sorry. Cheers. Cheers. Beers. The app is called shadow. Shadow. Mm-hmm. Should we take a little uh, breather for a sec? Or? Yeah. Cool. Yeah.
this amazing civilization thing that we've just come into in the last you know 200 300 years really badly first and then the 20th century was a great example of that but if we don't lose ourselves to either ideology or oh oh let's not kid ourselves we blundered our way through it it was a miracle it's yeah. a crazy miracle yeah. that we even continue to exist yeah but i'm happy that like if, if if i have to look at the obscene wealth that has been accrued as a result of that even i'm you know i i can even thank god for that like oh yeah yeah you know i'm i'm because part of that effect is the rest of the world has been brought like the poorest of the poor have been brought up you know what i mean like more people have been raised out of poverty in the last hundred years and especially the last like 50 right, right. It's, it's it's crazy unimaginable like i mm -hmm. can't feel that enough that so many people are suffering less right you know and i if you so if, congratulations humanity got it we could but we can do so much better yeah we can keep getting better there so we yeah. all we have to do is like really honestly look at the history of humankind and and see it as gradually improving and um just be assured that it's happened thus far so as long as we don't blow ourselves up with bombs we're good that's all i have to keep saying just listen let's just do everything we can to just like not shoot and kill and blow each other up that should be that should be the next thing to go you know before we're, we're all worried about the nfl going down but before the nfl goes down let's get the militaries out of here i would just like to get the military out of the nfl yeah get the military Man, out of the nfl get the military out of the schools <laughs> get the military off the tv i don't want to i don't want any more military in my in my future it's cool to have a historical thing I, I agree that they should be honored, and it's a very important service they provided mm -hmm. in a time that where that was where things but were. What do we that do was how ISIS? things were getting done. ISIS, if we stop building all the weapons and giving it to them, they won't they're, have any more weapons. They already got the weapons. Yeah, but they've they got enough weapons to take weapons from almost anybody. Well, you know what I mean. Stop, take their weapons. You know, but you need weapons for that. Well, it's we have good, drones. We can we can make it our way towards it. But the the fun like, are we in too deep? In a cause and like, and then you can never really know that. Like, are you of course. In, in too deep causally? Well, to, and that's and that's their whole that. that's their whole excuse for still being there is like they're like, well, if we evacuate now, they're all going to kill each other and it's going to be a bloodbath and terrible. And I'm like, well, I mean, what part of it has what part? How how much of that have we actually stopped from happening to them? And that's really my problem with it. Yeah. It's like, okay, so if ISIS wants to come over to our place and really start fucking with us, then we'll deal with that. That's what mm -hmm. we're going to deal with. But we, we don't have to deal with it in their country, in their world. That's the point that I'm making, though, is like yeah. when you – That's the excess that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about like us not having our own defense system. Yeah. That's just dumb. We already have the technology. Of course, we're going to be able to defend ourselves. We'll defend ourselves from cyber attack. We'll defend ourselves from, you know – uh, missile launches and we'll have drone armies we don't have to put a bunch of uh human beings kids. in in a, another country and you know just blowing kids up and shit we don't need all that anymore um well and they don't need us and i think us pulling out i think that's just a story they fabricated i think us pulling out yeah okay there might be a bloodbath or two that night but there's a bloodbath every couple months anyway and we're down there and it's and Russia's already you know Russia's already pulling out. So what are I mean? 
It's not our business we, anymore. We were we were headed we were headed to a place that I'm trying to remember because mm. um, I brought up yeah, ISIS let's, for let's, a reason. But we can I'm cut I'm all down. this political stuff out. I get a little uh, no. I mean, it's it's honest. Out, like I'd, I'd be glad to keep it because it's it's there. Yeah. I mean, you have a pretty reasonable opinion. You know, yeah. That, that's really I'm why I asked anti, that I'm question. Anti war. I just think war in the military is just wasting all our money, and those are the two biggest problems we have. What we've learned over the that's that's one of the lessons of the 20th century is that we are perfectly capable of waging war for no good reason. And that should be something that after you know that, you need to watch. You know, like, and if you if you don't think it's necessary to even know that as a possibility, then I kind of question your judgment, not you. Um, right, right, the, right. One who does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up earlier when you were talking about, uh, when you were talking about big data and and how we can use that to influence various things. Trump used uh, he his his campaign office employed a British uh, data agency essentially to run Big Five, um, like using Big Five personality data to um, to sort people essentially because we can you can basically get that data out of Facebook. Mm -hmm. So and and Big Five personality. Uh, the, the spread of big five personality traits is a a fairly a fairly consistent you know one of the best indicators of how you're going to vote conservatively or liberally because there's two strategies at mm -hmm. trying to run society okay you know like conservative people love borders like in a real way like the the, the walls are necessary because people are going to come and you need order so you put walls up and you create a society and then classically liberal personality types will say well the borders are going to restrict things and you need stuff to flow openly between those things. So I'm less against, you know, I'm more against the wall being put up because I need, you know, we need, we need openness, you know, whatever. So the liberals are generally high in openness and low in conscientiousness. And yeah, conservatives are generally like almost, almost perfectly aligned the reverse. Okay. So, and those are people that are, that have conservative personalities and they generally vote that way. Right, right. So the ramifications of that itself is is pretty profound because you need both of those things to allow some kind of balance. You know, liberal, classically liberal minded, uh, or 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 liberal personality types are really good at thinking outside the back, the, thinking outside the box, and and looking at the information they have and coming up with new variations on it, but not excellent at implementing that in a way yep. that's going to last. Okay, you know. And conservatives are the opposite way. They want to implement what's going to last in a way that has always been done. Right. You know, the idea that they have been presented with, they can make it work really well and really efficiently. But they're not necessarily going to come up with a new way to do it. So that's what you need liberals for. Yeah, so, well, it's it's set up. It's like a divide and conquer kind of thing. It's, it's a set up for them to be able to get us to be against each other so we don't ever recognize what the real enemy is that's fucking us all over. You know? Yeah, I mean... The political parties didn't happen in a vacuum. Like they well, were guided conservative by... and liberal. Just those two political, those two philosophical and political opinions now are not necessarily cut and dry. Like they want it to. Like everybody has different opinions on all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And to be affiliate, these these parties aren't representative of who we are. Or these these, right. these labels, these liberal conservative, those aren't. We are all conservative in some ways and, and liberal in others. And we need right. to be able to freely, like, find things we can both agree on and 
move forward. I mean, in democracies, like sharing ideas, you know, so we all have to kind of listen to each other and be like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to take your guns. All I want to do is like stop selling everybody guns. Yeah. Like the guns you have. Okay, sure. But we're just going to like stop selling all these a bunch of new people like guns for no reason. Yeah, they're there. You don't need to continue making them. Yeah. How many guns do you have, sir? Okay, seven. You got plenty. I'm not worried about your gun. Don't be yeah. worried about your guns. You have plenty of guns. You're fine. You can get ammunition. You can do all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, but there are people that pathologically collect them. Yeah, and dangerous know? and dangerous weapons. I will be like, no, fuck that. That's, yeah. that's not. You're not gonna. I wouldn't even want you to shoot a deer with that. You asshole. There would be no point in shooting a deer. That's right. only made for you to take and have fun with or shoot people right. potentially. And that's fine that if you potentially, if the if you time came, you need guns. to be able to shoot people. Well, but that's but, the thing. You can get those guns, but there's just a lot more steps to the process to get the automatic guns. Yeah. And, that, and it's just like anything else. It, it falls under advertisement. And because I used to do caption work. Um, well, but here's the other part about it. Hang on, like, I, okay, sorry. I, I used to do I used to do caption work and I, I worked on a few gun shows mm-hmm. like 30 minutes of some public access type thing. Um, they're showing off, you know, they got, they got sponsors who make scopes and they're showing mm-hmm. off this stuff. Right. And a lot of it was like tactical, like, well, when you're, it was like a TV show, like a hunting show kind of, but yeah. it was like about guns specifically. Yeah. But it was like, well, when you're in a tactical situation, you need this specific light. And the guy wasn't a, well, he wasn't a cop. He wasn't in the military. He might have been ex-military, but he was like living his life in a way that he was like, well, when I'm in a tactical situation, it's like, are you expecting to be in a tactical situation just out in life? Yeah. Yeah. And the only reason, the only reason I could think of needing that is if there was a mass shooting. Yeah. And you needed to take out the mass shooter with the gun that you're carrying because you're expecting a tactical situation in your life to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like two sides of the same pathology, which is just an obsession with. Right with danger to a point that's not productive it doesn't make you a better person as an individual to other people Mm -hmm. it's just like that's what well my dad loves you know he goes golfing whatever well my dad goes to the shooting range and devises tactical situations for him to his friends i mean guns are guns are excellent tools for like hunting animals you know it works for people and that's all it is there for that's all we need it for here for real and uh you know if you like want to make an automatic weapon and go have fun with it and stuff, just get good at your craft and make yourself fucking well. It's easy to like take a cool old weapon and make it an automatic. It's easy to make those kind of things. So you can do it yourself. And I, and I stop, stop depending on these fucking big NRA shit to like give you a bunch of trashy bullshit guns anyway. And here's the other thing I think about guns is like a lot of people associate with like, Oh, some masculine thing. We're like, I'm going to be the winner here. But see, what used to happen was, you know, and of course knives were always there and stuff when it got serious, but there used to be bar fights where people would like hit each other and yell at each other and get in a fight and it would be over with and everybody would go home and be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And now there's guns. Right. And if you bring a gun into a situation, a gun is in the situation. Yeah, yeah. People don't fight like that anymore. There's a gun. Like, you mm-hmm. know. Well, that's interesting. That takes us back to to anton wilson um political power as a typical alpha male once said grows out of the barrel of a gun this is metaphorically as well as literally true the gun may be symbolic and fairly abstract consisting of ritualized social expectations or concrete in a non-violent but deadly way 
uh yeah yeah um so and that's the other thing is like okay so yeah there will still be murders people will find knives people will kill you with machetes people will fucking burn your house up whatever or just choke you with their hands you know there's murder in humans Mm -hmm. and mammals and stuff like that there's murder there and there's real instability in people yeah like if you get a thousand people in a room one of them is going to be completely out of their mind so we need to not make it uh ability for any one person to kill like 20 people (laughs) you know what i mean like, because only with these guns can we allow that to happen. And, like, yeah, okay, okay hijacking okay, planes. Okay, but uh, well, ar- okay, arson. Uh, yeah, hijacking planes, car bombs, there are ways. I know. I mean, you can just but burn a building down with a bunch of people in it. But let's just try and limit them. Let's right. not give them another one that's easy, like a fucking Well, let's rifle. not sell that opportunity to yeah. them in case you run into a tactical situation. Yeah. Cool. And you're untethered. And then, and then we can start taking the, the guns away from the cops. That's really the num- the next step. The first step, if we could do it like that, that would be the best way to do it. Well, I, it can't take be the, the first guns step. Away. It has to be the second step. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have to take the guns away from the perps and then the cops. Well, I think that's actually the second and third steps, and the first one is the drugs. Yeah. Because in, in the really concentrated height, uh, uh, Chicago is kind of different because then you, you just, just got... decriminalized drugs. I don't, I'm not a policymaker and I don't, I'm not a, I, I don't have a great balance. Yeah, I'm sure you can't just start with that, but there's probably a process that we can develop. It's like, Hey, okay. Seven years from now. Yeah. If you can get to a point where that is an effect mm-hmm. where you don't have people buying guns to protect their drugs. Right. So they can sell drugs illegally to other people with guns. That's, that's part of yeah. the main problem. Yeah. And that happens to be a largely racial problem because it's a largely racial issue that you get placed into these urban hellscapes where you have where everyone around you is completely thrown right. into chaos from the start like that's not good um, right no no we're arming ourselves against each other and it's right. a system they've developed and it's really really dangerous and we have to stop it it's really yeah. dangerous yeah well i think i think one other thing underlies mass murders which is the void that you get into when you have no meaning because if you read, and this isn't my report, but if you read like the Columbine shooters' um, diaries that they left, it's all I, I, I want to negate humanity because it means nothing, and I and it's shunned me basically, yeah. and that's that's the that's the nihilism that counters the ideology. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're we're subject to either one of them if okay. we if we lose. And and Dostoevsky and and Nietzsche and all these people called it like totally called it, you know. If you lose meaning, then you just you become insane, you know. And and I don't, you know, that's what that's that's what happens with a lot of like schizophrenics too. Is that their 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 understanding of like their their meaning structures break down, mm-hmm. and then chaos is just what is there, mm-hmm. and we can yeah. you know. We can definitely lose ourselves to the void of non-meaning as much as the fake meaning of an ideology. Right, right, right. Okay, so really that's the best way of dealing with that is to prepare yourself that you may not be in the reality that you believe you're in. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of other ways to look at it. Yeah. And, and so perhaps your reality is worth bringing into the world. It is. It yeah. is. It definitely is. And it's worth listening to everybody else's reality and entertaining the idea that, hey, maybe they're right too. Right. And you can just try them out. There's no contract. It goes back to that where you don't have to sign anything. You can try it all out. And uh, certain things might work for you and other things might 
might not. You kind of piece it together and you make it, um, you know, safe for yourself in yeah. that way. But, you know, there's also that element of like fear that's really necessary. And well, the, the group is a good way to, to, and it's a classic, you know, a very, very old way to, to, uh, not condition yourself to insulate yourself from fear, you know, yeah. safety in numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that, that's a, that's a good way to do it, but yeah. we're, we're, we've learned and we're learning to do this and many other things on a, on a higher level of analysis. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't right. just work for me, you, our families and our tribe. It works for me, you, our families, our tribe and that other tribe. Yeah. And that's yeah. revolutionary as far as yeah. I'm concerned, Yeah, you know, cause that wasn't, yeah. there were allegiances or whatever, but then when you get 12, 15, 20 tribes, many, many groups that can cooperate and then cease to be groups. Yeah. They had to have some big leader with a big hat. We do need hats. God does want us to wear hats. God That's seems, cool. God I'm, seems to think it's important. I'm used to a hat, but, uh, you know, uh, just top, I'm looking for top hats. Uh, you want to take a break and come back and talk about music? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, I don't have, I'm kind of, I don't have a lot to say about hats, really. It's kind of a new thing for me. I don't really. <laughs> Started wearing hats.
Joe Rogan talked before about um, when people show up in a boat, like back when the Vikings showed up or whatever, 
or when the conquistadors or whatever. If you're out on the beach and somebody shows up in a boat, that's bad. That's generally a bad thing. You know what I mean? That generally means mm-hmm. what's going to happen next is not going to mm-hmm. be good for you or your people. Mm-hmm. But the point that that got me thinking on is like, that. <laughs> is that maybe, and this is this is in a retrospective view, is that racism was inevitable as a growing pain of our unity of people. Which is kind of tragic to think about when you take like a Tower of Babel perspective. Uh, maybe not inevitable, but but a a certain the chances of people not doing that right were pretty good. Oh yeah, you know, and I'm thinking like from you know thousands and thousands of years ago where tribes were battling each other because they looked different up until like the recent yeah de- you know uh, 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 deconstruction of the widely established practices right. of like you know that kind of thing right um it's old news yeah like if it's a, it's a terrible terrible story but it's old let's move on let's we got another right like we another perspective now we've all yeah thousands and thousands of years ago if someone shows up in your village that looks completely different from you mm-hmm. you're gonna go something's wrong something's up something's not like this is weird i don't know what's going on mm-hmm. but there's no reason that should happen now no yeah like and and we the, should be in like Star Wars. Like everybody should be so fucking super freaky and weird, you yeah. know. Well, that's kind of the premise of Star Trek. Is yeah, that exactly. We've, we've yeah, fixed all this. Shit. Yeah, yeah. It's the yeah. beautiful future, and we can all like, if we all just kind of yeah. like, uh, keep figuring out ways to make that a reality. It'll, it'll it's going to be our way for for yeah. Eventually, it'll be our way. That I just I wanted to mention that because we were that, that's we're we're talking about groups. We have Mm -hmm. in in many Mm -hmm. ways we've had to culturally unlearn groups, Mm -hmm. you know, over thousands of years or or over, you know, 50 years or 10 as the Soviet Union fell, like they had to dissolve and learn how to how to regroup. Yeah. Um, But it certainly should be known. Similar like like I've been thinking about the Gulag Archipelago and and reflecting of like this is the capability that people have uh, to do horrible things to each other that are just unimaginable mm-hmm. based on the extensions of an ideology that broke down in its infancy mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like that the same way i think about that i think about um you know the, the capability of people to separate themselves as a vast mistake and not own up to it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. You know, that shouldn't be forgotten. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, uh, I I don't, it's it's kind of like, well, I don't see race. Well, you, you should. It's not a thing to erase from your perception of the world, but you, it's how you make decisions based on who you interact with and their values that they present to you as human beings. That is, yeah. it's a higher level analysis. Yeah, yeah. You know, and if we can keep that, trend going of like i'm gonna right, i'm gonna look right. at this as a higher self than exactly before you know it, it it just doesn't happen like nothing like that kind of that perspective you know changes over time yeah you know i mean 200 years ago in europe they thought you know they were ascribing medical differences to the way right. different races behave and 400 years you know like before marco polo went to china yeah like how are you going to expect to not have stereotypes well, and like chinese and, people and technology has sped that up but not not that much you know it still kind of yeah. takes a while for everybody to kind of realize that yeah race is a thing 
but it's not like yeah well it's it's know. become a value it's become a politicized value thing now right. like lately because now the swing has gone enough to one side where you say like hey you should be with the program like that's not important anymore like why are you living your life in a hateful way because now it's hateful right you know what i mean right. before like thousands and thousands of years back it was necessary to protect your like from unlike but right. but as we've Right, right, right. You know, These are mistakes that, we've been making for hundreds of years, and we're finally at a point where we can say that's in the past. Well, just as a just as the, every corner of every continent merges with each other, and as mm -hmm. we become the human race instead of that tribe over there mm -hmm. that we don't really know about, and those institutions you know. are still like happening this day, and still like making money off it, and it's just it's private they, prisons. They can take advantage know? of yeah. the people that aren't with the program. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's but it's only a matter of time that stuff is so just like the military, that stuff is so bloated and nonsense at this point that we don't we're doing more harm to ourselves than good with all that. Yeah. And I know you can't just quit it all of a sudden, but we need to start coming up with plans to like back out of it gracefully and in ten years not have military on foreign soil at all. Well, only backing... only diplomats and like they're protecting like bodyguards or whatever, you know, that's it. Yeah, I think I think a primary step of that is backing out of the values, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that, yeah. And yeah. just the way you do that is speaking, speaking truly until you can only say things that only you could say. Yeah. Yeah. You and know? it's unilaterally too. It's, and it's good for the everybody. And that's really what you got to sell it on is just be like, Hey, everybody's going to benefit from us. Just like working with each other more and not like, yeah, not like spending so much, like and still trade and and like still travel, sure, sure. You know this is all great, but like, well, we're we're more apt to intermingle anyway when right, we do that, right? And it's it's the same as like when you when you first understand your power as an adolescent, like, oh, I could go make money and I could leave you, like I could go make a kid too, <laughs> as Doug Stanhope said. I'm gonna sub, <laughs> I'm gonna subcontract this motherfucker. Yeah, um, yeah. Then, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, as you as you mature like that, you take on more responsibilities and you get more rights and, you know, you, you have more access. But you also have to, you know, like as you come into an individual, you also have to learn others individuality. And that's like what our society yeah, has yeah. done. Yeah. It's one of the great, the, I mean, one of the, what say whatever about America, but that's one of the amazing things that America has done was was place at the forefront of society, the individual. Yeah. And I think we're just... We're still working it out. We're coming Hadn't out. You got of, it exactly right, but we're still we're working on it. Yeah. Well, every 14, 15 year old, every virile 14 or 15 year old is a narcissist. Right. We had to stop doing that at a certain point yeah. to quit being effective. But, you well, know. And that's another, that goes to another part of the things that I think is kind of in our way right now. Um, and I think that's like the whole social media world. Individuality to pathology. Yeah. That's, that's gotten in our way of us being able to really get together on stuff like we should be able to. But I think that's, I, I still have hope that that's just like an awkward stage of all this, like uh, new technology and stuff. And I think we'll find, we'll have much better ways of dealing with it here shortly. Entire yeah. communities. So back, uh, let, let's, let's wrap up with music. music. I had a, I had an in topic with you because yeah. that's good though that's, that's good we kind of just spent a lot of time discussing not music yeah that's that's hard for me i don't do a lot of those like mm -hmm. generally it's, it's an interview about somebody but i like uh i like working through ideas like that yeah that was that was good man that was uh that was interesting for sure for sure a lot of things i wasn't really prepared to talk about like uh, me neither yeah 
but I'm glad we touched on it. Um, so when I talked to Jimmy last week, uh, I he mentioned uh, Roger. Yeah, he brought him up, and and yeah. it was it was funny because Flesnoy had done a show, and Jimmy had come to the show, uh-huh. and at the end we did like a mixed. Everybody just jump in and do your thing, and it was a big improvisation. Uh-huh. And Jimmy got on drums with Walker Yancey and was just yelling. So Roger had had done this repeat a, uh, re- repeating verbal mantra through a bunch of work. It's you think you're immortal, but you're going to die. Yeah, yeah, you know, that, yeah. That and and he so he's I didn't know any of that. I didn't know about Roger. This is months and months before we had talked. This is back in June, I think. So and I didn't know Jimmy that well either, and. And so he he's screaming over all this noise, like, "Well, that was what Uncle Roger said. That was what Uncle Roger said. You think you're immortal, but you're all gonna die." And I complete, and and then he said, "That's what Uncle Roger said to Sister Ray, y'all." And I was like, "Wow, wow!" wow. Jimmy said that. Wow, oh, those he, are Jimmy lyrics. I'll have to, I'll have to play. Well, they're, they're he was quoting Roger, but I'll have to I'll have to play you the recording. That's it was what crazy. Uncle Roger said. Wow, man. Yeah, and then he quoted Roger. And he said, that's what Uncle Roger said to Sister Ray. And of course, I knew Sister Ray from the Velvet Underground. So I perked up and I was like, I was, I was, I bugged her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I brought that up to him and I played it on his episode and he, that brought us back around to Roger Stella. Uh So what do you, what do you think about that? Man, that's an awesome, uh, awesome story. Yeah. Do you hear him say that at his performances? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's been one of his staples for, for several years, most of the time that I've known him, he's been he, he usually includes that in some some reference. Thank your lucky stars is kind of how he starts it most of the time, I think. But um, but yeah, that's great, man. Because Sister Ray is a really big, awesome song that um, me and Roger actually started a band based on. Really? That we yeah, Silver Ike. That's kind of what we still do it on. Like okay, so you that was based on like the the. That was our first cover, and every uh, song we okay. play, we cover every song we play is a cover song. Okay, but it's just like our version. It's just like really long, <laughs> really long compared to the nineteen minute version that the Velvet Underground put out. Yeah, yeah, and just kind of like even more minimal. <laughs> wow, it's cool. I'll have to play some. We do Suicide was one we did the Spaceman Three version of Suicide by Suicide. <laughs> So wow, yeah. I just wanted to throw that connection out there. I thought that was yeah, man. Me and Roger play a lot of music together, and Jimmy has always been a huge influence on all our stuff. And like Roger and Jimmy go way back, and Brian. That's how I met I met Roger through Brian, and Brian was like working at Renaissance with Jimmy, and uh, that's how I met him. He booked our first show, the first uh, them native show. We were called Holy Spirit at the time, but yeah, he booked our first show. Cave Nine, and that's where we met Lance and Rodney, and uh, a couple other folks from back in the day that were doing stuff around here, and um, and then Roger, you know, was always going to Renaissance, and Brian got to know him through that, and they had a noise project together called Hollow Bush, <laughs> and they were awesome. I love that. Yeah, they were, it was just like really, and that and one of Roger's main lines was just like, "You think, thank your lucky stars, you know. You think you're immortal, yeah. You think you live forever, 
but you're all gonna, gonna die, die. <laughs> it was great yeah it's great man it, it is great and i have a bunch of mixes of that kind of stuff that i've recorded with him and i've just been friends with him for a long time and he's turned me on to a lot of great music as with jimmy as with brian those those guys really like really uh made me proud to be from here and like know them so i want to close up with with what you were playing when i got here mm -hmm. so you've been working on this on this half hour piece of music for a while yeah this particular one i have i have a couple like this but this particular one is the longest they're not going to hear it for a while like yeah. you're not done with it but just tease it tease them with it i can actually give you all a little teaser here on this one i'll give you like a the five minute excerpt or whatever but uh yeah, it's a big it's a big piece I've been working on trying to um, illustrate like kind of psychosis and um, so it's a huge noise experiment from years of recording different instruments of diff in different places and uh, just never allowing it to be finished kind of and just keep adding adding on to it and changing it around and um, and so it's just become this pretty awesome awesome beast that i'm i'm into right now i think i'm calling it virtual insanity as well i'm calling it and it's it's kind of just like a simulated mental breakdown musically <laughs> musically right and it's like guided meditation in that way for me yeah that's kind of what i think about it. it's like extreme guided meditation you know yeah and irregularity in music and I'll, we'll close up with this because it's getting late but I think irregularity has a way of doing that, uh -huh. of of guiding you through, because it kind of you're you're gonna chop up instead of chopping up time by a twenty second verse and a thirty second chorus. Right, you're chopping it up by two or three seconds at a time. You have right. to adjust constantly. Right, and right. If you're down for that, then it's very effective. Yeah, well, it just takes a really long time, and it's just it's just cool. I was just like, I put this thing aside. I probably worked on it for about like seven or eight years now you know i just put it aside and looked at it and put it back and stuff like i probably recorded some of this stuff 10 years ago but i've, I've started really working on it five years that's a good really practice to around. have yeah letting like, stuff digest letting stuff sit and like kind of decompose in weird ways like kind of gets further away from you mm -hmm. and you can kind of just start to see it as like something extra you know yeah. maybe at the time you have too much importance on it you think it's too good or something yeah kind of like saving 20 percent yeah. of your income is just yeah. a good way to be well saving 20 percent of what you make it's probably just, better down the road yeah you know it's good i'm gonna take that to heart <laughs> and the music is that way too so just record it all and just keep moving and, and every once in a while you'll have a little dead patch and be like oh all that shit from back then you know? mm -hmm. i've gotten whole albums play with that. It. yeah let's play with it yeah it's fun dude and it's really it's really been cool especially since like them natives has been over with that's given me a lot of like i can just call everything that and that can just be like all the past stuff you know so, do you have dates coming up uh no okay uh but when next year uh we've got some plans for like doing some new orleans shows and mobile and um and making it in athens and nashville and stuff doing little weekends here's to the future yeah cheers thanks for part cheers, two man. yeah you're gonna hear more music after this